Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. So today's episode is one where I definitely have my little cup ready with me because it is going to be a doozy. So, you know, lately we've been hearing all of this conversation around what is DEI, what's not DEI, and, you know, how race plays into this. Well, what we're starting to see, especially kind of outside of some of the DEI circles, is this anti-racist or anti-Black sentiment or, you know, all of these things that are kind of counter to where we are trying to go with this work. So today I am talking to Dr. Donna Oriowo about this very topic. Um, I'm so excited about this conversation because Dr. Donna, I actually found her on TikTok doing some of these conversations and I'm like, yes, this is what we need to be talking about. So Dr. Donna, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. And yeah, so, you said it right. Yay, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those who may not know you or your work, can you tell us a little bit about you and your background? Absolutely. Um, I'm Dr. Donna Oriello. I'm a sex and relationship therapist and expert in the Washington, D.C. metro area. I live at that space between DEI, mental health, and sexual health. So I'm in that crossroads. Um, do training, speaking, all kinds of stuff. And I definitely still see therapy clients. <laughs> Wonderful. So I want to just jump right into this topic because mm-hmm. I've been seeing a lot lately around and it's kind of been on social media the last couple of weeks, you know, what is DEI and race isn't the only thing that DEI is about, or, you know, why are we so focused on race when there's so many other aspects of diversity and inclusion? And so I wanted to kind of get your take on some of that conversation and why we're kind of moving away from the roots of why DEI even started in the first place. People are uncomfortable addressing their own foolishness, their own anti-Blackness. So it is very easy to instead say, well, what about talking about LGBTQ rights? Like, but you don't care about Black people's LGBTQ rights. What Mm. about, oh, we should should be talking about uh, fat phobia. Like, but you don't care about Black fat people, right? So anti-Blackness underlies pretty much everything that we already see. Because oftentimes when we do think about LGBT, when we do think about um, fat folk, when we do think about disabled folk, we're not thinking about black people. Yeah, We're thinking about white people who are in that space, not about black people who are in that space. So I often think it's rather rich when people are like, oh, well, you know, I think that we should be talking. I'm like, no, you want to avoid talking about your own internalized anti-Blackness and the way this country continues to purport and push anti-Blackness as the main agenda that it has. And none of that is cute. (laughs) At all, at all. You know, it's it's so um, just 
mind-blowing, mind-boggling, bewildering. Like those are the words that are coming to my mind (laughs) when I think of, you know, DEI started, kind of came out of affirmative action, which came out of the civil rights era, which was pushed and led by not just people of color, but black people very specifically. And so to forget those roots or to understand that all of this was really about anti-blackness to begin with, to now kind of pull that away is is very interesting. Um, And, you know, again, I understand that we all have intersecting identities. Race is one thing that we all have in common and how we relate to race based on the race that we have, right? So if you are, I don't want to use the word privilege because that's overused, but if you benefit from a racist construct, right? You're less likely to want to talk about and deal with race. Yeah, you're also less likely to see it as a problem at all. Because that's the beauty of being on the end of the folk who receive the benefits. It's very easy to forget that there are people who do not receive those benefits. It's very easy to have, what, basically like blinders on. So you can't see what you can't see what you don't experience. And it's very easy to ignore the experiences of others who are trying to tell you what life is actually like for them. Because, I mean, they see the world a lot differently than you. Because you're like, well, because I haven't experienced it, then it must be fake. And then you sound just like Fox News, right? Like fake news, fake news. I'm just like, "Mm, okay. Um, Mm. But that's because you refuse to hear other people when they give you their perspectives because you are so very entrenched in your own. And I think secretly, you're also not wanting to put yourself in a position to lose the benefits and the privileges that you already are experiencing. So instead, it's easy to deny an existence than it is to say that you benefit from one because then you have to contend with the fact that it's unearned benefits. Yeah. I mean, when you said that just now, like what I started imagining was kind of people that do this, people that hold on to that one aspect of themselves that is othered, forgetting the aspects of themselves that are privileged, right? And so you're leading by this kind of victimhood one identity, forgetting that you have all of these other privileges based on your other identities. And so again, it's those blinders like, yes, I fall into this category. Yeah, but you also fall into these categories too. Yeah. And so, I've had people tell me stuff like that, like, oh, but I'm gay. I'm like, and you think that stops you from being racist? Okay. Right. Right. You know, so this kind of leads me to think about when, we, when you and I first started talking about this was, Oftentimes, well, not even oftentimes, we are all kind of born into and products of a society that has been built upon white supremacy, right? We're just going to kind of put that. And so it's who we are, right? Even if you're not white, you are kind of some of the ideologies are still built into the systems because that is all we know. And so as a therapist and, you know, all of the other things that you do, I'd be very curious to understand, like, how do we start to separate, one, understand what that even means in our lives, right? So I'll start there. Like, what does that even 
mean? Because most folks like, oh, you know, I'm pro-black, you know, black lives matter. But you still have operated in this system um, that doesn't benefit you. The other day, I explained it to how we, by saying we, uh, we defer to power. Mm. That's what we do. We defer to power um, because we have been taught to defer to power. So what that means is that in a room full of women where a man walks in, the conversation shifts, mm. right? In a room full of Black people, when a white person walks in, the conversation shifts. Mm-hmm. In a room full of dark-skinned Black women, where a light-skinned Black woman walks in, the conversation shifts. We defer to power. Mm-hmm. We move the conversation according to power, specifically so that it feels more comfortable, so mm-hmm. that they are not made to experience discomfort because the people who are not in positions of power have already been taught to defer in order to maintain, number one, power, but number two, to soothe the ego and the hurt feelings of power. Mm. So we don't talk about our real true life experiences because the people who are already in, in positions of power in a lot of ways are too fragile mentally, emotionally to take it. Um, yeah. I was literally, I just seen it. Ooh, it was a good article. Um, <laughs> but it was talking about how in the workplace, black people do move in that way to be able to, um, so that people who are upper management can feel better about themselves, mm. right? That you are you're more quiet, you're less likely to outright disagree. Even when you do outright disagree, like, hey, you yeah. just be like, yo, that's stupid. <laughs> that don't make no sense. But you don't say it because number one, you try to keep that job. And number right. two, you know that hurt feelings, white hurt feelings, male hurt feelings often hurt black people, black yeah. women. If yeah. a woman hurts a man's feelings, we honestly, I know I get worried because yeah. in the moment where his feelings are hurt, he could turn violent. Lash out. Yeah, exactly. When yeah. a white person's feelings are hurt, they lash out. We've seen white women use the police as a gun aimed at black people again and again and again. Yeah. So yeah. we defer to power and until we recognize that number one, that's what we do. And we ask ourselves some of those critical questions, right? So like, what is power? Um, in what ways is power being used to maintain itself? What constitutes power? We're not asking the full breadth of what we need to. Within the space of DEI, it's very easy for people to be like, well, we don't want to talk about that. But ultimately it's like, well, but what is power in this context? Mm-hmm. Who has it? And how, and how is it being used so that it can be continually maintained? Because we're all participating in the system, whether or not we benefit, because it's what we're used to. It's what we know how to do. My wheels are turning. And in that conversation, in you speaking just now, I just had this aha moment of this is what I defer to power, right? And what was going through my mind was lately I've stopped doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work per se, right? Because I know that it is charged and it'll close doors before to open it. So I've, I've been saying, you know, like I sneak it in the vegetables, right? I do all this other stuff and we sneak it in the vegetables. They don't even know what's coming. But what I realized just now in, in listening to you was 
there's almost a not a protection of feelings because I do have ways to kind of work around that and and pose questions to challenge people on their discomfort. But I'm like, it's less about sneaking in the vegetables than creating a Trojan horse. Right. Because it really is about like, I'm giving you this gift, but what you don't know is inside this gift is about to blow all this up. Right. It's about to really shift um, mindsets and how people operate. And it's getting to the heart of behaviors. Like, so as you're, as you were talking, I'm like this deference of power, deference to power is so innate in what we do. And you see it in diversity, equity, and inclusion programs where folks are, no, oh, well, let's talk about gender because that's an easier one to get into. Let's talk about, um, unconscious bias because that's an easy topic to get into yeah because you can defer blame unconscious bias oh i can't i can't ex i can't you can't expect me to do anything about something that's unconscious unconscious, unconscious. um but yeah. the deference to power that started when we were young yeah for, for very many of us right because sometimes our parents request of us wasn't based in safety per se, but certainly based in power and yeah. wanting to maintain power, especially in a world that almost took it away, right? Yeah. So it's there's this picture that I show when I am doing um, some DEI work and it talks about those layers, right? That the first layer is family before it becomes neighborhood, before it's your local church, before it's um, you know, your state before it's the nation, right? Mm -hmm. I show this to show that there are various steps, right? That there are various uh, forms of society and various systems and that each system has its own requirements, but they all work within the whole. Yeah. So families teaching children to obey, not to think for themselves, to obey a direct order fits within mm -hmm. the system at large. We don't want thinking people, we want doing people, right? Mm -hmm. This is why schools often look the way that schools do. You are, mm -hmm. you know, regimented sit, we're all facing this way, we're all doing this one thing. No, you can't use the bathroom, teaching you to deny what your body is telling you, Yeah. right? In favor of what mm -hmm. someone else is telling you. We are, we are, we've already been groomed till we're 18. And then suddenly you're supposed to be free. And you're supposed right. to make all these choices and these decisions, <laughs> but you've never made a choice or a decision for yourself. Not yeah. really. You've made the ones that your parents or society has already expected you to make so that you can be a productive member of society. And we have never questioned what it even means to be a productive member of society. It's like, well, who gets to be productive? What makes you say that this thing is more productive than that thing? Right, right. Who creates that lens? Who creates that scorecard? You know, and I'm smiling. Who has power? Right. And I'm smiling and laughing because I was thinking as a child, yeah, I was the one always asking questions. But I think about that because that's how my parents were. Right. So I always grew up with this on the report cards. <laughs> Doesn't respect authority or <laughs> always questions the teacher. But it's because, again, culturally, that's ask questions, challenge, you know, if something doesn't make sense, make sure it makes sense to you. 
And so that has hurt me in lots of ways, but it's helped me in quite a few ways as well, too, because I'm not just going to go with the status quo because you tell me to. Like, it, help me understand. Like, if I ask that question, then you know good and well, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. <laughs> I love that though. I love that because most people are not necessarily operating in that at all. We get those questions punished out of us, not just by parents, but also in schools. You're not allowed to ask questions. I mean, on my report card, it said talk too much constantly. Oh, I got that too much. Talk too talk. And and I mean, you're talking about like this doesn't respect authority, and it's just like, well. Did I grant you this authority or did you assume this authority? Listen, and my not respecting your taking a mantle of authority in my life doesn't mean that you're not a worthy individual, just means that I don't recognize you as an authority over me. I recognize you as an authority over you, and I have authority over me. So, okay, look at that. We are equal in this space. I know that was something that I got in trouble for a lot because my mama, I mean, she did it, right? So she she would say, like, you are just as smart as any adult. I'm like, well, the setup began right there because then what did I do? I questioned every adult. I'm just like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Can you explain it again? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. and of course it's the, well, what, you think you're smarter than me? Like, well, my mom says I am smarter than most adults. So I'm going to go with yes. Right. And I still don't understand why you want to do this thing. (laughs) I don't understand why you're keeping me from this thing. I don't understand why you want me to do this thing. I need you to explain it so that I can understand it. So that I'm on the same page with you so that I have buy-in. Yeah. But that's not usually how that works. Right, it's do it now or go to detention. Do it now or you're grounded. Whatever, right? right. So it's it's whatever the thing is that says I'm I'm going to exercise power over you one way or the other. And yeah. I my parents are foreign, right? So they weren't born in America. Mine too. <laughs> so I'm the one who taught my sisters not to question authority, specifically mm. police. Mm. Yeah. Because that's not necessarily a lesson I got from my parents. Their experiences with the police is very different in Nigeria yeah. than mine in America. Yeah. And it is some of my fears, my experiences that got me to consider and teach my sisters differently. Right. Mostly I had a cop threaten to put something on me. And I'm going this way then. You know, and so where this kind of leads me to start thinking about is how do we break free Mm. from this culture, right? This power driven culture. And I'm white supremacist culture. I mean, that's basically what it is, right? We're going to put it out there like that. How do we, particularly as people of color, um, break free from that mindset. Breaking free from the mindset means that first you have to recognize that you actually have the mindset. Hmm. You know, therapeutically speaking, 100% of problems you don't know about, you don't solve. 
So yeah. you have to acknowledge that there is actually a problem and that you actually defer to power and identify when and where and how often mm. and maybe start to unpack your whys for why you're deferring to power in this instance versus that instance. So having a full scope of the problem in that way is the first, for me, it's the first step. I don't know what you can do if you don't do that piece. Yeah. And it's, you know, what, what that makes me really think about is even if we personally, I individually want to do break free, right? And we are mm -hmm. trying to do that. We're still in a society that is very much in this box, right? And I'm thinking of folks that are listening or watching that are like, yes, I want to go down that path, but I'm not quite sure how or how that will be met um, because others haven't done that introspection for themselves. Right. You got to so, find your community. That would probably be my second step. So once you know that there is a problem, seek out the community that will help you in mm -hmm. solving it. Right. So for some people, that means you need to be in therapy. Right. Um, that's not a community. <laughs> that is some help to help you begin to unravel some of the stuff. But finding the community can help you to continue to be supported in the work that you're doing without worrying about the judgments that people often have when mm. you're doing this type of work and they're not, right? You need to find a community of people of like-minded folk who are doing mm. this work and who are wanting to see things get better as well. That way, when the world around you is looking like, and what are you doing? You stepping out of pocket. You have a community that's like, no, you got this. You're doing a good job. Mm -hmm keep going. Yeah. You need those people on occasion, right? Um, it sort of reminds me of self-esteem a little bit. A lot of people say that self-esteem is, uh, so, well, you're supposed to have it for yourself. I'm like, that's cute. Self-esteem is built a community um, because you don't, you learn how to do it from the people around you. Yeah. And then you internalize it for yourself and then you continue it, right? So you might start off needing validation before you move to, I validate myself and they just serve as confirmation. This is the same thing. You need mm. these folk to help pour into you because sometimes you're going to look at stuff like, does that make sense? They're going to be like, yeah, baby, it makes sense. Until you feel strong enough in your voice, in your stance, in whatever it is that you are doing. And then they will serve as confirmation and you will be your own validation. Love it. What are some, because my mind is just going a million miles an hour and I'm just like, if you were to break free, what are you breaking free of? You know, like what are some Ooh. of those aspects of supremacy that we've internalized that we may not even realize that we've internalized? You, what would you break free from? Well, specifically talking about power, right? And yes. just kind of proximity or deference to power. Um, but what else would that look like? It would look like you question almost everything, right? So mm -hmm. like when someone's like, oh, well, that's tradition. You would question tradition because as my friend Goody Hobbit would say, tradition is nothing but peer pressure from dead folk. Ooh, ooh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh <laughs> and a lot of tradition be rooted in some foolishness. So you would yeah. question everything. You would question male supremacy and male dominance. You question the patriarchy, especially because what we know as patriarchy is actually white supremacist patriarchy. You would question it. You yeah. would question fat phobia. 
Yeah. Because that ain't about health. You would have you would read some books and you would learn that it's not actually about health. That is yeah. actually about anti-blackness, which most people don't know that anti-fatness is actually anti-blackness. Wow. So yeah, you would question that. And all because African bodies are shaped very differently than the uh -huh. Eurocentric standard of beauty. Exactly. You would be questioning when you when you watch something, if you find yourself feeling some type of way, you would question that. Like, okay, what's going on here? There's nothing that you would be able to say or do that would not require you to question some stuff. Yeah. You would constantly be in question. You would constantly be in the space of calling yourself in or calling some stuff out because you would need to, you would be curious as to what is the root of the thing that made someone say or do this other thing, right? Like if you feel the need that like the only time you can leave your house is full face makeup on, hair looking on extra sleep, you would question that. Why do you need to do that to leave the house? Who's benefiting from this labor that you're putting in? Mm. You would, I mean, right now, mom, I got my mama questioning the five day work week. She's just like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, tell me how it does it, mama. She's questioning it because it doesn't make any sense. No. It is a, it's how capitalism is, in my opinion, destroying right. our lives by making us believe that it is reasonable that of seven right. days, only two of them should belong to us. And if I recall, historically, that was based on Henry Ford and wanting to have the factories going for five days a week to maximize produ productivity of cars being yeah. built. Right? So it was, again, back in capitalism, industrialization, mm -hmm. who was doing a lot of the work. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Mm. We would be and also questioning, what do we through. know about these people? Ooh. We would be thinking <laughs> about all of those things. Right. So my mom is questioning the five day work week. I have had people questioning why um, some of their sex education doesn't feel like sex education, but feels like deterrent education. Don't get pregnant. You'll get, um, you know, like having babies sucks. And so does uh, STIs. And it's just like, you know, with yeah. COVID out here in these streets, no one is talking about preventative measures there and certainly not behaving like preventative measures are needed. Though my understanding is that that's the third leading cause of death currently in yeah. our country. And in this time, in this hour, not two years ago in 2020, it's still bad no, today. Yeah. So yeah. you would be questioning everything almost all the time. And it would feel exhausting at the very least to start before it starts to feel energizing, before it starts to feel like you're moving closer to you. Because what happens is you move closer into alignment with questions, especially ones that you can answer about why you are participating in something. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing the thing that you're doing? And even if you don't like your answer, knowing your answer, it still feels good to know you. And when you know you, that means you can do things that work for you. I love it. I love it. Because now you got questions. I have all kinds of questions. Um, like, <laughs> that's who I am. Yeah. My, my you know, hate watching like movies with me because I'm the person. I'm like, well, why would they do that? I'm just so mean. We are each other. so <laughs> mean. I'm like, wait a minute. But why? And yeah. 
Mm -hmm. mm. Like I can both enjoy something and question it at the same time. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, why is this story being told in this way by these people? Yes, it was a good movie. And I still have questions. Yeah. And and I I so appreciate that because I think um, we are taught, again, not to question, right? Just to do, to act. And so as we're doing kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion work, or we're pushing back on corporations and how they function and their values and the alignment of their values and all of that, there needs to be some questions that are asked and raised that may be kind of like telling the emperor he has no clothes on, right? You have to be willing to, to do that um, and, and challenge, again, the status quo. And I talk a lot about that around psychological safety and being comfortable to do that. But a big part of that goes back to what you just said around having the self-esteem and the confidence to be able to, to speak your truth and to be asked, be able to ask those types of questions um, in a way that you are grounded in who you are. And you can't ask those questions, those deep questions, if you are on in quicksand. Like you, you can't. You can't. It, it is almost impossible. Yeah. It, because you have to know you. And I would also say you also have to be a person who is trying to live a pleasure-filled life. Because when you are seeking pleasure, you also have to question traditions. You also have to question the status quo because the status quo says that you're not allowed to have a pleasure-filled life. It says you're allowed to experience pleasure on the when weekend. Right. Mm -mm. So if you're really doing this work, it is all encompassing in that way. You would have a different relationship with pleasure, with rest, with food, with yourself, with other people, with family, with friends, yeah. you would have to have a different relationship with money. Yeah. You would have the way that relationships would shift when you're doing this work for you, right? Because I also mm-hmm. like to believe that, I think funnily enough, a lot of people of color believe that they don't need to do this work. I'm like, no, you need to do this work too, because we've already been grown and bred into this idea that we are supposed to be considered less than somebody. So even if we don't think of our personal selves as being less than, we say things about black restaurants, right? Oh, like, black businesses, period. Word. So yeah. it's like they messed up the one time and it's just like, see, and this is why. See, that's why I don't black people. people. <laughs> right? We go, we go straight there. And I'm just like, but did you ever stop to question who gave you that? Right. Who, who taught you to expect the worst already? Yeah. From yeah. black businesses who taught you that black businesses shouldn't be charging anything near what white businesses charge right who mm-hmm. taught you these who taught you these pieces around how you're already deferring to power even when you think you're supporting black people who taught seriously i i i'd be having questions questions i'm like oh <laughs> You're, you're ju- you want to help people do this? I'm like, well, why do you help people in this way, which is already continuing to further white supremacist stance? I'm yeah. like, you're, you're hyper into uh, capitalism and you believe that black capitalism is going to save us. It won't. So tell me why you believe that it will. As, and how do you believe that this thing is divorced actually from the white mm-hmm. supremacist delusion? Because Ooh. it's not. <laughs> because it's not. Lordy. Put like hustle culture, grind culture. Oh, all yeah, of it that's is, all, it's all part of it. It's, it's all, all part of it. it. But we don't be ready. 
Right. Oh, Lord. We could go on for for days on this. <laughs> Dr. John, I want to do a quick little pivot. Because I, you know, I know that you do this work and, and you are working with others in therapy and, and helping them. But what do you do to fill your cup? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself as you're going through this? I set and hold my boundaries. Love it. Um, I eat foods that make me do that little dance in my chair. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend time with people that fill me up. I do work that is in alignment with my strengths, uh, which means I've done some assessments to know what my strengths are so I could do more of that stuff. Yep. Um, I seek pleasure every single day, some type of pleasure, because I'm deserving of that pleasure. So it And it helps to fill my cup. And I try to make sure I get adequate rest, drink my water, and mind my business. Ooh, <laughs> that's a song. Drink water and mind my business. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes. My <laughs> <A> little Caribbean <laughs> roots coming out. You know, so if anyone wanted to follow you or find you, how can they do that? You can find me on DonnaOrioWo.com. I'm at Dr. Donna Oriowo on Instagram and uh, TikTok. <laughs> And I think even on Twitter. So um, whether or not the dot is present depends on which platform you're on. But yeah. Love it, love it, love it. So Dr. Donna, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, we could have gone on for days in this conversation, but I think this is the, these are the conversations that we need to have in starting to bring some of that theory around DEI and understanding what it really means to unpack um, supremacist culture into our own practice and then uh, creating that community. So thank you for helping us start this conversation because I definitely think this is where we need to be moving um, as a society in really trying to understand who we are and taking the time to figure out who we are. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. This has been great. Yay. Thank you. And thank you all for watching this episode of DEI After Five or listening to this episode of DEI After Five. And as always, you can find us every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. here on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.